just want to say that I, I am a fan of Bishop Todd. He has been a friend and a mentor and a guide to me, and I just have the utmost respect for him and the movement of Anglican Missions in America and just what you guys are about. But can I be a little honest with you about something? I'm a little nervous about our scriptures today because I want you to really like me. <laughs> And I would rather come this morning and preach about love, because all you need is love. We love love. We sing about love. And if I get a good message about love, we'd go have some sushi after for lunch, and everyone would be feeling right about themselves. Or heaven. Who doesn't like to think about heaven, the place of no sorrow and sadness and tragedy? But that's not what our scriptures are on today. In fact, our scriptures are on a topic, much like politics and religion, that if you bring up polite company, you're usually going to cause somebody to go home from the party a little bit early. We're going to talk about justice. Justice is like fingerprints, isn't it? Everyone has one, but they're all a little bit different. And in fact, the topic of justice in the church has been a public media frenzy as of this last year. How many of you remember uh, conservative talk show host Glenn Beck? bringing up the topic of social justice, saying the following words to people who go to churches. I beg you to look for the word social justice or economic justice on your church website. If you find it, run as fast as you can. Social justice and economic justice, those are just code words. Am I advising people to leave their churches with those titles? Yes, if you have a parish priest that is pushing down your throat justice, go find another parish. Go to your bishop and tell them, excuse me, are you down with this whole social justice thing? If it was my church, I'm alerting the church authorities. Excuse me, what's this social justice thing? And if they say, yeah, we're on board with this social justice thing, say to them, well, then I must be in the wrong place. It seems that the word justice and the word church can be a topic of argument versus unity. In fact, evangelicals historically have ticketed typically talked about the gospel, the good news, salvation, sin, the cross, and heaven, rather than justice. And those churches that talk about justice are the more liberal churches who go soft on theology, who don't believe in their life, who think the only thing you have to worry about is the here and now. And there's a divide down the souls of people. What is Jesus really about? Is he about rescuing those of us here to give us an eternal bode? One day I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away, hallelujah, by and by. I'll fly away. Or is he about social transformation? Is he about a radical movement of the people of God moving in and through social structures, bringing hope and restoration to the world as we know it? In fact, we have two theologies. One that says evangelism is, is getting many people in a boat that's sinking, and the best thing you can do is throw out life rafts to a sinking ship. And those who believe that God is about rebuilding the sinking ship, making it float anew in the, in the world that we live in. In fact, I think down the road of many of us, when we think about what it means to be a faith community, we will fall on one of these sides. We will fall on the side that says Jesus is typically about the here and after, or Jesus is about the here and now. And what I want to say is, those are a false dichotomy. The dichotomy that's been set up in the church is a false one because if you read the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, you'll see a recurring theme that the God who is actually true and beautiful and big and real, who is orthodox and right and is above all things, is also a God who has a passionate cry for justice in our world. In fact, if you looked at the words for justice in the Hebrew and the Greek, they appear 1,060 times in opposition to the words for sexual sin, which appear about 90. 
If you want to know what's rich on God's vocabulary, it's the word justice. But I think the confusion is, what does justice mean? What does it mean to be a person who seeks for justice and social justice in our world? I like how scholar N.T. Wright refers to justice. He says, justice is the longing for the world to be put to right. And if I asked you the question, do you long for justice? I bet by that definition, every one of you can answer yes. Don't we all long for that? Don't we all long for a world that just works and functions rightly? I have a beautiful wife. She's the purest person I've ever met, and she has incredible taste in men. And she refuses to go to a movie that will end poorly or unjustly. Meaning, if we go to a movie and the hero dies at the end of it, or the good guy doesn't get the girl, or the bad guys get away, she will have a ruined week. Because in her, there's a longing for the story to end happily ever after. And in fact, if I take her to a movie that ends that way, I am not being talked to for at least two days. Because in her, there's a longing for the story just to end rightly, for those things that are wrong to be turned into rights, for those things that oppress people to be turned into things that give life. And I bet down the core of each and every one of us, there's a longing for rightness, that every test result would come back negative, that every coffin would be tossed away, that every broken life would be repaired, that every bill would be paid, that every marriage would be happily ever after. I bet if you ask the question, are you a person who longs for justice? We might be confused about the political apprehension of that word, but if I asked you the question, are you a person who longs for rightness, for wholeness, for a world that just makes sense, for the world to be put to right, for children to go to bed in homes with loving parents with full bellies? I bet every one of us would say, amen. Well, what I want to say is that inner longing that we have for justice, that inner longing that we have for rightness is revealed in the scripture. In fact, the scripture that lights our way, that gives testimony to the inner conviction and desire for a world that just works, for a world that just is rightly put together, is reflected from Genesis to Revelation. But the scripture is not just only a light to our path, it is also a mirror to our faces. It's something that looks at us and asks the question to us, how do we contribute to or neglect the issues of justice in our world? So the idea that churches don't talk about justice, but they just talk about the gospel, and that those people who talk about justice don't believe the things of God, they don't have really good orthodox theology, is a false dichotomy that Micah knows nothing about. Because if you were going to ask the question to Micah, do churches believe in justice? He would ask her the question, it's not about whether or not people believe in justice, it's whether or not God believes in justice. And Micah is speaking at a time when Israel has refused to live out its God-given mission to be a light to the world, to be a hope to the world, that a community of people can live rightly. Micah's preaching in the 8th century of Israel's time, where they have experienced as a nation, Israel, do some wars and conquests, economic prosperity. 
And these slave people, remember people who were oppressed, who were making bricks, who were sweating in Egypt, have now been moved into a promised land, and they're making lots of money. Things are going really well. Yet in this time, what happens, there becomes class divisions between the haves and the have-nots. Those people who have the money, have the power, and the people who are slave labor for them. And the people who are rich, who are wealthy, who, who neglect to care for those with needs and who are oppressed, go along and worship God like everything's okay. They go to mass, they go to church, they go to temple, they give their burnt offerings, their sacrifices, they sing the songs, they do all the right religious stuff, they get up, they get down, and they know all the Bible verses. Yet in their world, something's taking place. There's starving people, and there's wealthy people. There's broken people, and there's whole people. There's people who are oppressed, and there's oppressors. And Micah sees this in his time. And he looks at this people, the slave people, this people that had been called to live out what it means to be whole, to live out a world that's supposed to be right and put together in the midst of a broken world. And he looks at this people, Israel. And God says through Micah, in a rhetorical fashion, Oh my people, what have I done to you? Have I wearied you out? Testify before me. Have I not brought you out of the land of slavery? Have I not redeemed you from bondage? Have I not sent Moses and Miriam to you? God is saying to the people of Israel, haven't I been good to you? And hasn't my goodness translated in your goodness to other people? No, no, it hasn't. You've received a blessing just to bless yourself and to neglect those who need to be blessed. And God is saying, how is this possible that my goodness and my love and my devotion to you has translated into your neglect of those people in need? And these people are good religious people. They respond to God and they say, okay, I know, I know what God wants. He wants us to worship him better. Because they think what it means to be a person of faith is to do the worship thing, to sing the songs, to bring the sacrifices, to give the offerings. So they say, trying to appease God, okay, what shall we bring to the Lord? Shall I bow myself before the high God? Shall I bring in burnt offerings with calves that are a year old? Shall I bring thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn to the fruit for the sin of my soul? Micah says, Hasn't my goodness translated into you being good to others? And they say, okay, I know what God wants. I know God. God, God wants me just to sing a little bit louder, so I'm going to sing a little bit louder. And Micah says, no. Oh, I, I know what God wants. Instead of 10% of my tithe, he wants 15 or, or 20% of my tithe. That's, that will make God happy with me. And, and Micah says, no. I, I know. I'll, I'll go to church Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I will be a daily in-church person. And, and, and Micah says, no. It's not singing a little louder that will make God happy in this situation. It's not just doing the same things that you've been doing over and over and over and over and over again that will make God happy in this situation. Micah looks to these people and he says, he has shown you, oh man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God? These people are like those whom James talks about later on in the New Testament. 
people who know the Word of God, people like they look into a mirror and they see their face and then they walk away and they forget what they look like. They've experienced the goodness of God. They've known the love of God, but it has not translated in them to be people who seek the goodness of others. And Micah says, listen, this is a common knowledge thing. This isn't a surprise proverbial force of wisdom. This isn't something that you have to search on Wikipedia for. Oh man, you know what it's good. In the heart, that longing for the world to be right, that, that deep internal sensibility, that justice should be something that we all work for. Oh man, you know what is good. God's shown you. You're to walk justly. You're to love mercy. And you're supposed to be humble before God. As Proverbs 21.3 says, to do what is right and just before the Lord is more acceptable than sacrifice. God is not impressed by burnt offerings when they do not come from a heart of mercy and justice. And my friends, do you know what the difference between mercy and justice is? Because I think lots of us get mercy. Imagine if we were on a church camping trip and we're at the bottom of a river that's flowing you know, downstream, and, and we're hanging out, and we're barbecuing, and it's going to be a great time. We're singing 30 verses of Kumbaya, and we're having a great time together. And suddenly we see a, an infant flowing down the river, battered and bruised and crying. And we think to ourselves, what, what should we do in this situation? So, of course, some of us run into the river, and we grab the child, and we get the baby out, and we start to put bandages on and repair, and we, and we get a bottle of formula, and we start to feed this child, and start to build this baby that was in a perilous situation back to life. And as we're doing that, somebody says, we'll look back in the other river. And, and, and we look in the river and we see another baby coming down. And we think to ourselves, this is, this is very odd. And so we go grab that baby and we get that baby out. We start to bandage that baby back up and we feed him a bottle. And then, we, and then as we're doing that, another baby. And, and baby after baby start flowing down the river. Baby after baby start coming down the river. Mercy is the act that gets the babies out of the river, that cleans the babies up, that gives the baby food, that makes the baby have the potential to live a whole and good life. Justice is the act that asks the question, who's upstream throwing babies down the river? And how, how, how can we go upstream and attempt to stop the person that's throwing babies babies in the river. And Micah says we're to do both. He says that some of you in this room are mercy people. You're compassion people. You're people who will always put bandages on broken souls, and you will do that without any sense of duty or obligation. It's who God's created you to be. And you will always do that. And some of us are justice people. Some of us ask the question, is there a way to stop the perpetuation of broken people? Is there a way to stop children getting thrown in the river? Is there a way to stop communities that are broken and desperate from replicating violence and tragedy? And Micah says, you're to do both. You're to love mercy. The word in Hebrew is chesed. It's a word for compassion. It literally is related to the word for womb in the Hebrew Bible. Out of that center of yourself, you're to have love and generosity. But he says, justice, equality, liberty, hope for all. I like what Cornel West says. 
Cornel West says, justice is what love looks like in public. Justice is what you would do in light of those whom you love being put in a situation where they're going to be broken and rejected. You know, I, I can be honest with you. In a world broken as ours, I want you to be mercy and justice people. I'd love for us to be both. But I think one of the reasons that we focus on issues of mercy and compassion and love is because to be a person who goes against issues of injustice requires a certain amount of courage and strength and faith that I don't have. In fact, it calls us to be people who stand against the powers and principalities, who stand against those forces that ruin lives and ruin societies. And so many of us, we're good at putting on band-aids, but we're not good at asking the big questions. And I want to say that I'm not. I'm a mercy person. I'm a compassion person. Justice is harder for me. But I learned the definition of what justice and compassion means in a situation when I adopted my oldest daughter. Me and my wife were both uh, challenged with infertility on both sides. And so after five years of trying to get pregnant, uh, many attempts, five very uh, serious attempts through fertilization and one miscarriage, we began to adopt. And so we started to adopt and we actually had a little baby we adopted and we're in the hospital, cut the umbilical cord, had the baby, and then the mother changed her mind and, and took the baby back. And so we went home empty-handed. And we were at a place where we were thinking, gosh, I mean, this is just not how the world should be. This is just not how the world should be. We, we, every couple that wants to have babies should be able to have them and, and people who are put in the position to have to place their kids for adoption should, should have to be able to you know, raise those kids. There shouldn't be this injustice in the world. And so we went home and we were just broken and sad and, and we got a call. About two weeks after we had that failed adoption, and they said, hey, Ian and Julia, we want, we want to tell you about an opportunity. Uh, and it's not exactly what you're looking for, but it's something that we think might fit in terms of your family profile. There's a little girl who was born. She's what's called a surprise baby. She, she was born into the world. Her, her, I say this with no judgment or condemnation. Her, her mother, probably due to some very serious circumstances, went into the hospital, gave, gave birth, and, and left the hospital. Didn't sign a paperwork, uh, didn't do anything, and there's a law in California that you can just do that. And so she went, gave birth, and this little baby was born, uh, and on her birth certificate was the name, no name baby girl. And she was born in the hospital, and we pray for her mother, and she was born, she was three pounds, five ounces. She had a bilateral cleft lip and palate. She had an extra thumb on her left hand, so she was three thumbs up. She had two cysts on her brain, two holes in her heart, but she was doing okay. They called us and they said, this little girl's in the NICU for about 28 days and now she's placed in temporary care with a foster mother. Would you be interested in adopting her? And I thought to myself, gosh, this is just not the ideal situation, to be quite honest with you. I mean, this is a terrifying situation. All the cards are stacked against us. I mean, she's going to need about seven surgeries. Uh, this is going to take a lot of energy and time. And, and so what I did was I sent the medical profile to my doctor, and he, not a man of faith, so he just said, you know, uh, don't do it, don't do it. I mean, this is, I mean, why would you want to bring a child into your home that you're going to have to do so much repair? 
on. Why would you want to work so hard for something that should come so easily? So I said, okay, well, we're going to get some time to think about it. And after two, three weeks, our, our adoption agencies had called us, and they said, listen, you need to make a move on this situation because we have other families we want to show this little girl to. We want to get her placed in the home immediately, so you have a day. So it was one of those moments where I, I, I kind of got pretty serious with God. I don't know if you've ever had one of those moments where you're, God, this, this, this is, isn't playtime right now. This is the time that me and you need to have a serious conversation, and you need to show up in a powerful way. You need to show up in a way that is going to make clear to me what your will is in this situation. Well, thankfully, in the neighborhood we lived in, there was a retired Catholic nun. I don't know if you can retire as a Catholic nun, but she was. And, and she was in the neighborhood. She, she turned her house into a prayer garden that was publicly open to the community. So this is pretty cool. Every neighborhood should have, every neighborhood should have one. And so I decided to go over there and pray. My wife was at work, and I went and prayed in this prayer garden, and and it it was one of those moments where I was like, Lord, this is a a life-or-death situation. This is going to change the trajectory of my life, and I can't do this if you're not with me, if you're not guiding me. Well, after about an hour of prayer, nothing happened. So I thought to myself, I'm going to go home, I'm going to call the adoption agency and say, you know, we're going to pass, and we're going to let this little girl go to somebody else. But as I got up, I, I walked, and I saw a rock in front of me that I didn't see when I walked in, and it was this big, beautiful, engraved rock, and it had the words of St. Francis of Assisi engraved in it. And what this word says was this, we've been called to heal wounds to unite what has fallen apart, and to bring home those who have lost their way. And I looked at that rock. I said, God's spoken. Called my wife. I said, honey, we're going to bring home that little girl today. We went, picked up this little three-pound, ten-ounce child. And we didn't know if she was going to need a bunch of surgeries, or, or, or if she was going to have a genetic disorder. She had all these problems, and so I was freaking out, and I'm thinking, gosh, she's going to die in a week, and I, I'm just terrified of all the consequences of what it can mean to bring this child into our home. And I just want to say, she'll be two in December. She's had four surgeries. She's cognitively aware. She's the most gorgeous little girl you've ever seen in your life, and her name's Samea. Samea in Greek means miracle. And what I want to tell you is, the words of St. Francis of Assisi are just mocking the words of Micah. That in a situation that looks perilous and broken, like our world does today, let's be honest, there's not a pretty picture out there. And we can do two things. We could focus on our religious traditions, which are wonderful, and I love them, as a way to consume our minds, to focus on the hereafter. Or, we can open our eyes, and we can look at the problems and the disparity and the hardship around us, and we can have the courage to ask God the question, what shall I do in this situation? What shall I do with illiteracy? What shall I do with homelessness? What shall I do with tragedy? And God, shall I clean up the mess, or shall I work to stop it from ever happening? And God says to you, you know what to do. You know what's good? To act justly. To love mercy. 
to walk humbly before your God. And in each and every one of our spheres of influence, there are needs and issues and people who need to see you demonstrating what it means to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. Why? Well, in the words of St. Francis of Assisi, we've been called to heal wounds, to unite what has fallen apart, and to bring home those who have lost their way. Will you pray with me? Father, I just thank you so much that justice is not a political issue only, but it's a church issue. It's a people issue. And I pray, God, right now that you would move in this church, in this community, that we would have eyes that are open to see the needs around us and to be people of mercy and justice in our world. God, it doesn't matter if we're on the right side or the left side of the the political aisle. What matters is that we go deeper and we're more centered in God's word. So I pray right now that you just give us a moment of reflection. Where in our life, where in our communities, where in our sphere of influence can we be people who demonstrate what it means to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before our God? Show us now in the silence, we pray. Thank you for listening. For more information about Holy Trinity Church, please visit us online at www.myholytrinitychurch.com. Thank you.